I got my dice in my pocket and I'm ready to roll. 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 Fifty more experience to make level four. Should I push my luck? Should I give me some more? Things ain't been this easy since '74. One more room, let's kick in the door. On the count of three. One, two. We're delving deeper. Oh, we're delving deeper. Oh, delving deeper. Deeper, 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 deeper. Ray and Cody are your dungeon keepers. We're delving deeper. Awesome delving deeper episode with Ray Cody, man. Looking forward to the next one of A Little Bird Tells Me You're Following It Up. Hope that's not too long a wait. And also wanted to say thanks for running the game there. Um, nice, friendly time for us in the UK. It seems to have picked up quite a bit of momentum. And um, yeah, just cool fun. Cheers, man. Take care. Hey, Cody, this is John from Red Dice Diaries. Just listening to the dual cast that you're doing with Ray Otis from Plundergrounds. About halfway through that now, very much enjoying it. Not really heard of Delving Deeper myself, but I'm certainly going to give it a look after listening to this episode. Also, I'm intrigued by the sound of your Barrow Maze game. If you get any spaces pop up in that, hit me up and let me know what the deal is with that. Sorry for the traffic noise, just on my way to work in the morning, but wanted to drop you a quick message. So like I say, if you do get any places in Barrow Maze, hit me up and let me know. Really enjoying the episode. Keep up the good work, dude. I'll catch you soon. Hey, guys. Just wanted to pop in here. Um, thanks to Colin and John for those call-ins. I really appreciate it. Um, just want to say since John sent this message in the beginning of September, he's actually played in a handful of sessions um, with us over on the Audio Dungeon Discord, so. Um, yeah, this is the actual second half of a recording that I did with Ray, so if you're starting here, I'd head over, pause, and then head over to the Plundergrounds podcast and catch the first half of our conversation, um, just so it makes a little bit more sense. All right, guys, enjoy. That's that's all I wanted to say about the non-human classes. I do want to talk a little more about your Barrow Maze game. Sure. Have they been serving up vengeance on the Bogtown bastards? They have, yeah. They found uh, they found the the base for the Bogtown bastards. Ooh, okay. Um, and they went in there. Um, we had a that was a huge session. I think we had eight players. <laughs> yeah, I want to say eight players with like it was twenty characters in the game. Wow. So they show up to the base and they, I guess without getting too much into like a session recap, basically they clear out this base, um, but the, the leader of the Bogtown Bastards and a couple of his lieutenants escape through some secret doors and ladders. Sweet. Uh, escape into the night. Yep, so, which sucks for Pete because his, the whole reason they chase these guys down is because uh, some of the Bogtown Bastards jumped Pete in a night of carousing and stole his blood drinker greatsword. <laughs> And so they're trying to get it back, and, and his armor and all of his stuff, but they stole his sword. So they're trying to get it back, and the leader of the Bogtown Bastards escaped them with that sword. Of course he did. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, as far as the, the rest of the Bastards, they've been, you know, 
mopping the floor with them, basically. What's your highest level PC? So we have two level four fighters. That's TJ and I think Pete's uh, fighter just got to level four. Mm-hmm. Do you find that leveling is slower in delving deeper? Compared to... Right, exactly. That's that's an unfair question. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. Compare it to like BX or something. I mean, the XP values are almost the same. Mm-hmm. Has there been any notable itches to change the system from you or from any players? I don't think from any of the players. I had a lot of itches at first. Mm-hmm. And this was me coming fresh off of a 5th edition campaign. So I was, you know... I guess used to that where there's a rule for everything and a thousand rules and, you know, just a denser system, but not since we've really gotten into it. I've just kind of let it go, I guess. And I just really wanted to run it as is as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree. The only, the only thing I've seen was uh, somebody brought up helmets the other day and they were wanting to, you know, define what helmets do. Yeah. And I don't think we ever came to that again. I guess my initial thought is if someone's specifically targeting your head, then you get a bonus on AC or something. But... Yeah, and I think I, I agree. Most of that stuff is you realize that there are chances to play it out in the fiction. You don't really need a special rule for it. Yeah, right. If, if you want to make sure that you have a helmet, that's great. There are things that that will matter against. Right. How is your weapon rules working out, the two-handed weapon rule? It's fine. Most people are using sword and board. No spears or... Yeah, so we have one guy with a two-handed weapon, I think, one of the fighters, and that's it, really. Um, I have been trying to engage more with the initiative system, Mm -hmm. Um, so really trying to make an effort to see, you know, if, you know, try and help the players. Okay, if you're prepared for an attack, you can can act outside of the initiative before we go to a roll, Mm -hmm. so ranged weapons, spears, long weapons, things like that, and that's been working on. Actually, I like it. Yeah, and I do too, and I definitely think that's where you go with that. If you want right. weapons to feel different, it's how they behave in a battle, not so much how much damage they do. Sure. Outside of that, I haven't really want to change the rules. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure out how I can break the mold with the preconceived uh, ideas about the specific races themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, people think dwar- as dwarves as you know grumpy guys who live in a mountain, but. In, in my game, at least, they're actually astrologers. They live on top of the mountain, and they have great observatories, and they look to the sky. Oh, cool. Uh, because they're higher up than everyone else, and they, you know, they have better access to the stars. Mm-hmm. Mm. They probably have good lung capacities from living at high altitudes. Yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. Big broad chests. Right. And then the elves, I made the bog elves or swamp elves, so they're kind of... Uh, hicks <laughs> or rednecks and so that they encountered those guys oh yes i remember that yeah. and i haven't done anything with halflings yet but that's the only thing i'm really trying to change i guess is making them a little bit different uh, it's flavoring up your world that's that's not really a rules change that's just a yeah right a setting uh, nuance i guess or whatever so i know early on my inclination was to think about what i would do for skill checks I know that at least once uh, I saw you do a skill check that was a roll under ability. Yeah. Have you settled in on that or or you just do the estimation? So like, oh, it's like a three and six chance. No, the way we try and do it is I just ask them to describe what they're doing and how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And we resolve it that way. Yeah, that works like 90% of the time, right? Yeah. So so the 10%. Yeah, it's I just roll under. I assign an ability that you know would be a close approximation to that, and then we just roll under. Yeah, I think that's so. I think that's right. So like, uh, you want your first instinct to be 
let's not roll it. Let's figure it out. Like, yeah. um, tell me what you're doing. Yeah. Tell me what you're doing. Exactly. When you get to the point where you've had like two back and forths, like uh-huh. they say, well, I'm doing this. And you'd say, well, but, and they'd say, yeah, but, and you, uh-huh. and you go, and that's, that's when you go, okay, let's roll it. Sure. Right. Like you, you don't want it to go on too long. And I think, right. I don't think there's a wrong way, but rolling under ability is one good way. And mm-hmm. the other way is to just say like the single D six roll, I think that almost gets better, actually, because there's other mechanics in the game that already use that, right? I think so, and I think it that's easier. You just go like, ah, oh, you've got like a you know three and six chance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Either way, that would work. But I I do feel like the roll under is a little bit. Is that actually suggested in the book? I think. Ooh, I don't think so. I think I'm just so used to doing that from other games that. Right, I was gonna say it feels more modern to me, and so like mm-hmm. if I were gonna to try to just stick with the old school feel with the original edition feel, I would probably do that X chances in six kind of thing. Going on a complete tangent, I'm searching for skills, and um, apparently Cyclops are skilled smiths, and should the player offer a useful gift and get a positive reaction, the Cyclops may offer magical armor in return. Ooh. There you go. See, that's clever. That's nice. Yeah. yeah, okay, so that's a question I was going to ask you, and maybe a whole bigger topic, and maybe it isn't, but the monsters, so far, have you have you missed the extended stat block and description things? No. Mm-hmm. So the way I, I, when I run the game, I have the spreadsheet of monsters up, and then I also have the uh, blurb about the monsters, basically. Right. So let's give that a quick read. No, we haven't really missed anything. I mean, um, there's really only, like, five monsters i have to know off the top of my head for the barrow maze specifically skeletons don't really have anything extra ghouls whites those kind of things i got to know about ghosts but yeah if if i just decided there was a cyclops somewhere i probably would have missed that yeah it's it's cool i mean you'd be surprised how just a couple sentences so i've just got the book randomly open here uh, minotaurs are great bullheaded humanoids half again as large as a man they are carnivorous man-eaters and will always attack. They need never check morale and will never give up a chase so long as the prey is in sight. So that just that little blurb gives you a lot to play with right there. Right. You don't really need a lot of special. I think time spent developing stats and mechanics around special attacks are mostly wasted. Yep. And do you think you would miss anything if you ran an encounter with the Minotaur and it got overrun and it ran away? Yeah. <laughs> What are you really missing there? No. Yeah, nothing. Uh, but, but later, what I would do is, like, if I did that, later I read that blurb and thought, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have had it run away. I would make that part of the fiction, like, that the cowardly Minotaur and, like, all his yeah. – maybe you, maybe you find him later and he's been driven out of his tribe because he ran away. Ran right away, yeah. Maybe he ends up being, like, you know, a follower, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think about comparing a creature – and delving deeper that would have that would late in later editions have a really special attack what would you think of like carrion crawler yeah let's see or a uh, rust monster or rust monsters in here no they're not in here no, they came later and i don't even know if they call a carrion crawler a carrion crawler there's the gelatinous cube but that's not really it's not really a special power i don't see carrion crawler in here no they're not in here Okay, so here's a cockatrice. Let's see. The merest touch of its tail feathers will petrify any living thing uh, that fails to save versus petrification. So it's you know it's not that much different than a basilisk, right? It's kind of the same. Like it's not uh, a gaze or touch will petrify any living creature that fails if it is tricked into seeing its own reflection in a mirror. It will likewise be petrified. Yeah, I mean, like these are covered by a lot longer mechanics in later editions. I don't know right. that they get any better. 
I know I'm sounding like I'm trying to be an apologist for, for old school games. That's not what I mean to do. It's just that I just I think sometimes we get under this this weird illusion that more rules make a better game. And I just I don't know that that's ever been true. I don't think it has anything to do with that. Yeah. No, I, I play fifth edition um, mm-hmm. on Monday nights and there's plenty of cool things going on and it's I have a good time. Mm-hmm. And substantially, it's the, in the end, it's substantially the same game. Yeah. I don't really feel like I'm playing that radically different of a game, but that's kind of my point, I guess. It's not that one is better. It's just that if you have two things that are basically the same game, then why play one with more rules? Why not play one with less rules? Yeah, that's a good question. Right. That's cheaper. Yeah, much cheaper. It's $5 or uh, let's see here. Yeah, if you buy a print book of Delving Deeper, it's 5 bucks. But if you right. buy all three core books, let's say from Amazon, so I'm going to give you, because we could tell you that they're $50 each, which they are. Right. Support your local stores, folks. Yeah, I know. It's true. But if you buy them like through Amazon, you know, they're like $30 each. So it's like $100 to get in. And you you decide where to stop, right? I mean, you could Mm -hmm. spend $1,000 in one go getting into 5th edition. Sure. Books, minis, terrain. Yeah. Dice. All kinds of crap. I think you could almost spend it just on books. If if you went in and cleared the rack of hardcover books, I I would bet you're close to 1,000. Yeah. There's what, like six or seven of them now? Yeah. Uh, there's that plus the modules, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, that's true. If you really went whole hog into it, you could really – and spell cards and all these oh, kind yeah. of things, right? Yeah. Um, all cool stuff. Have you ever considered making those for this kind of game? I have. Oh, yeah, I have. I thought about it for the monsters, and then I thought that would actually take up more space than I <laughs> than the monsters take up. And I'm not sure the spells wouldn't – I think I think I'd be more likely to make a little uh, – like a digest-sized spell guide or something like that. Sure. But yeah, I have thought about that. I mean, it's what we do, right? Mm-hmm. We love to surround our games with stuff. Yeah. But I've just been thinking more and more these days along the kind of minimalist line, like what do I really need to have fun and stop trying to think that the next thing I buy for a game is going to make it more fun. So as I mean, next year at GaryCon, you're just going to carry a notepad around and a pencil and some pocket dice? Yep, that's right. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to be, I'm going to have a giant flannel shirt with some things tucked into the pockets <laughs> and and I'm going to grow a crazy beard, and then nobody will be able to tell the difference between us, except you'll have more muscles. Maybe I'll start working out, and then they really there won't you be go. able to tell the difference. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, seriously, though, I mean, it's true. Like, I, you think about the light pack, right? When you go to a con, you really want a light pack. And I've been really spending time thinking about what's my minimal, like most effective bang for poundage uh, right. that I can get out of gaming materials. And a while back, I bought some of those flip and fold grids for D&D that are on like really heavy cardboard. Right. Those are nice. But one of the things that I had done before and I almost prefer is I had taken a one inch grid on one side and a one inch hex on the other and printed it off on a piece of toned paper, like gray mm-hmm. paper, and then thrown it through my laminator yeah, uh, which I got for like I got I got the laminator for less than I paid for that flip and fold grid, right? So everybody right. that says like, oh, well, if you, I guess if you have a laminator, it's like fifteen bucks or twenty bucks, you know, right. to get a yeah. laminator. And I can I can have like twelve of those in a in a little file Manila envelope file in my bag and still right. be less bulk than that flip and fold. The other thing I can do with that, one thing that's really bothered me about those flip and folds is it's hard to just show a little of the map at a time. Mm-hmm. Whereas with those things that I lay down, I can actually draw the map out across those kind of like a poster print, right? Yeah, and then just sure. lay, lay them down one piece at a time at a table. Yeah, definitely. And and they take dry erase or wet erase just like anything else. And so that, right. that's the kind of thing that I've been thinking through. 
I, I like the free, we're getting way off topic, but I love the kind of free spirit of the hobby, right? Like the paper and pencils game. Yes. Yes. And the, the I know it's a curmudgeonly thing. It's don't get me, man. I love technology. I'm an early adopter. I got all kinds yeah. of crazy technology. Um, I'm relatively hip to, you know, to various types of uh, social media and whatnot that goes around. Sure. But it doesn't mean I want it at my game table and uh, right. I get more and more into just embracing the basics. Yeah. I think um, one thing you said early on in one of your podcasts was the Eyes Up Gaming, and I took that and ran. Yeah, that's that's funny you should bring that up because uh, – so uh, Dan, who's running our game on Monday night, uh, he was very forward about having a social contract. Mm-hmm. And it's been quite good, so we kind of like started a new leg of the adventure, mm-hmm. and uh, they were asking if we needed to add anything to the contract. And JJ said, I'd actually like to try to challenge ourselves to – to do the eyes up gaming thing. And I was like, yes, let's do that. Let's challenge ourselves to do that. Right. And I do, I think about it several times every time we play. Um, I, I try, if I catch myself mm-hmm. looking down and like uh, with a fifth edition, the character sheet can become kind of, kind of absorb your attention. It's a trap. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'll turn it over. What I have been doing too, is I've got a little notebook and sometimes I'll write down the most important things in that, uh, on the edges of that little notebook, like yep. my initiative, my attack yeah. roll, and that kind of stuff and to keep myself from looking at the character sheet. Right. Cause once you write it down, you tend to remember that stuff. Remember it. Right. Yeah. So I really am trying to do more. I like just be in that moment as a, as a player to do eyes up mm-hmm. and it's totally doable. Right. So yeah, I think one of the important takeaways is that I guess it doesn't matter what system you're playing. Right. As long as you're having fun. That's right. Our way is not better. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't ever mean to insinuate that. I just do want to get people the mindset that uh, stuff isn't the important thing. Right. And right. rules isn't the important thing. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it's having fun at the table and really engaging with the game and, and with the people engaging with the people at the table and fiction at the table. All right. I have one one last question and maybe people can call in. But so if you were trying to get people to play this game with you, how would you how would you sell them on it? <laughs> Um, I just, I just get excited about things. Right. And and when I talk about what I'm into enthusiastically, that gets other people into it. If I were just literally trying to get my group to play delving deeper or try to get other people into delve, well, first of all, I have been doing that. I've actually wanted to contact Simon Bull and say, have you noticed an uptick in your delving deeper sales lately? (laughs) Hey, we should get him on the show. We should. I'll bet he would come on. You know, uh, Larry, I'll give credit. Larry Hamilton got me started on it. Sure. And one of the things he does, and I started doing now, is uh, when there's a sale at Lulu where you can get like free shipping, you know, in that 15% range, uh-huh. um, I'll buy extra copies. He'll buy extra copies. I just bought four the other day and carry them with me. And if you can get somebody interested in the game, just give them a copy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just think it's cool to have more people playing it. Yeah, definitely. So let me give you context because I, I was running a fifth edition game mm-hmm. and with a bunch of younger folks, uh, I don't know. 18 to 25 range and i was trying to get them to play this game with me and no one was interested and i don't know if i'm just a bad salesman or (laughs) did you try the historical angle because part of me would say like hey have you ever wondered what it was like in the in the earliest days you know like in the 70s to play this game it was really different you ever want to try that out so i tried that and one guy asked me what oh D was and i said oh it's like D from the 70s and he just said ew Oh man, uh, I don't know what to say. I was like, uh, I'm not gonna force them, I guess, but I don't know. I'm just interested in trying to 
get people because I've been having so much fun with this and yeah and I see so much where people are getting burnt out from you know trying to prep and run a a, a heavier game mm-hmm. and if you know, the only reason I haven't burned out with this game is because there's literally no prep <laughs> you know what I mean yeah that's right you can play at the drop of a hat very easily yes. I, I do think turning negatives into positives is thing sure you can kind of champion the d6 damage for instance and people be like you're crazy why would you oh man it's great <laughs> you, know, it's, right. you can kind of play that i got i got a d6 rock right here that says it's just as good as your you go. sword punch you with an arrow yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's like my wizard does d6 sure. damage just like the fighter or whatever but that would drive uh rob crazy i think uh, it actually might it certainly could turn some people off yeah no question yeah I don't know. I guess the best way to sell anything is just to sh- just to show you, you know, be out there having fun playing it and talk about it, uh, sure in a way that's fun and and uh, you never you can never bully people into stuff, right? So right or belittle them by saying their system is worse. Right, that's a terrible way to get somebody to play your system. Right, all you can say is I am I am having hella fun playing this game, and I like you just said I'm having hella fun playing it, and I don't burn out because it's so easy to run. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Uh, you know, you get you get in a dozen people to 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 get up early on a Sunday morning to play the game with you, and uh, there's got to be something there, right? That they keep coming back and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's. I keep getting up, and I'm on the west. You know, crack of dawn. It's still dark out when I wake up to play this game. <laughs> well, the one day I played it with you was a Saturday morning at like six or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Love. I loved it. It's great. Actually, it was a kind of a fun time to play a game. Yeah. You, you know, it takes me back to, like, Saturday morning cartoons. That was my thing when I was a kid. Me and my brother, always Saturday morning, up before my parents' cartoons. Totally. And now, I'm up, I'm up, up before my wife, up before my birds, D&D. <laughs> it's great. It's, like, an awesome way to start your day. So instead of uh, – I mean, yeah. sleeping in is great, too. Don't get me wrong. But, like, get up in your PJs and play a whole game, like, have a whole adventure mm-hmm. before 9 o'clock in the morning. Right. You, you get done with that, and then you can take a shower. You got like your whole day still ahead of you, and it just feels awesome. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, is fun. Definitely. Also, but it's also a great way to attract players from the United Kingdom as well. That's right. And that why you initially started it at that time? Um, I think I started it at that time because I didn't want to step on Jason's Kalmata game. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so I started bef- either it was like before his session I run a game, or after his session I run a game. Ah, I see. Neat. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, well, thanks for talking with me again. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, man, it was we, fun. We have to talk more delving deeper because we have this super cool theme song. So, uh, yes, we'll, we'll come back to it in in a few weeks. Yeah, definitely. And I would say, you know, to people listening, if there's something you want to hear about the game, mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's talk about it. And if anyone knows Simon Bull, let's get him on the show. Yeah, uh, I I will start Just working. S- we'll on send that. him the theme song, and he will, I'm sure, be more than thrilled he's got to be out there i know he's on the forums for delving deeper right so we'll we'll hunt that dude down and and get him to talk um he's he's amazing and i think we've talked about this before but when i was doing a little bit of look ahead for this episode i went to his annotated version that he's working on now i was working fifth fifth edition version of this editions don't change Mm. that much from time to time right which i appreciate because it means he's really just tweaking things that are like you know, just making it perfect, right? Um, right. So, so I'm looking in the fifth edition uh, under the races, and you know, he's got this incredibly detailed annotation of the exact source in either the three little brown books or like an article from that a chain mail or the art an article from uh-huh. you know concurrent with those books where he pulled this piece of information. And this quote unquote piece of information could be something as uh, like where dwarves live. 
right? Because he's got, there's two places right. mentioned where they live. There's like in mountainous areas or in hills, right? And he mentions both of those in, in version five. And he points to where he got those things. Uh, and it's like, mm -hmm. it's incredible. I'm like, this guy has researched mm -hmm. this thing down to the nuts and bolts. And mm -hmm. I trust him in a way that I trust uh, Gavin Norman, the way Gavin Norman has approached uh, the BX retro clone old school essentials. Because I know that, mm -hmm. that their primary thing is to be authentic to the original texts and then to note where they've had to make a change or, you know, so that you can understand where the departure is. Right. And I think that's just super neat. All right, let's wrap it up. I agree. Thanks again for talking to me. Yeah, definitely.